Hello, fantasy friends. I'm Scott Cullen, host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Locked On Podcast Network. In the first week of the podcast, I touched on draft strategy. We did a mock first round and covered top players at each position. We will get to categories like sleepers, rookies, breakthrough players, and so on. But today's show, we're going to focus on pitching. Some thresholds to consider before looking at pitchers. According to Zip's projections, there are only two starting pitchers forecasted to have an ERA of three or better. Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. Eight more are projected to have an ERA under 3.30. There are two starters projected to have a whip under one, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Eight more are projected to have a whip under 1.10. It stands to reason that if you're doing all right, if you can get an ace who can deliver an ERA better than a 3.30 and a whip better than 1.10. The funny thing is, when it comes to strikeouts, the changes in the game, the, the three true outcomes approach, means that nearly every pitcher can pick up strikeouts. Zips projected 15 starters for at least 200 strikeouts, though one of them was Luis Severino, and so that's not going to happen uh, as he's uh, facing Tommy John surgery. Uh, but there are were, there were 12 more projected for at least 175. So you should be able to ensure that you have at least a couple of high-end strikeout pitchers to anchor your staff. That alone won't be enough to get the job done, but it's a starting point. It will allow you to stay competitive And if you don't have at least two or three high strikeout starters, it becomes really difficult to make that up elsewhere. Let's begin with the elite starters. It would be nice to get at least one of these guys to anchor your fantasy rotation. Garrett Cole seems like the obvious first pitcher off the board. After two outstanding seasons in Houston, winning 35 games, striking out 602, while posting a 2.6 ADRA and a 0.96 whip. It's hard to argue with those numbers, but keep in mind, he's going to a hitter-friendly park and might not be able to duplicate his work with the Astros. Still, it's tough to overlook Cole's past two seasons. Jacob deGrom has incredible numbers the past two seasons, including a 2.05 ERA and 0.94 whip. But wins have been harder to come by. He has 21. And he has 524 strikeouts, which is still great. It's just not quite in Cole's stratosphere. Justin Verlander is 37. Uh, So that may give you some reason for concern. But his past two seasons in Houston have been monsters, combining for 37 wins, 590 strikeouts, a 2.55 ERA, and 0.85 whip. So, 37 or not, he's still worthy of being a staff ace. And Max Scherzer's 35, and he started 27 games last season, the first time since 2008 that he started fewer than 30 games in a season. He still had 243 strikeouts, and he's had an ERA of three or better in each of the past five seasons. He has a whip of 0.94 in those five seasons. He's a workhorse. There's a bit of a choice to be made between Verlander and Scherzer, longtime aces in their mid-30s, or or some of the emerging aces. Someone like Shane Bieber, uh, the Indians' 24-year-old starter, had a 3.28 ERA and 1.05 whip last season with 259 strikeouts. Can he get even better than that? At his age, he should still improve, and his home run to fly ball rate of 16.1% was a little high, so it's not unreasonable to believe that Bieber could be better. But it also feels safer to take guys who have long-standing track records as aces. Uh, and the, By the same token, Walker Bueller, the 25-year-old Dodgers starter, he hasn't logged big innings yet. Like At least Bieber pitched over 214 innings um, last season. In Bueller's case, uh, he pitched 182 and a third innings for the Dodgers last season. He did strike out 215 batters and finished with a 3.26 ERA and 1.04 whip. Like Bieber, Bueller should improve, and and that's what makes them both really quality options behind the top-tier starters. 
If Steven Strasburg could stay healthy, he could very well duplicate his 2019 season, which included 18 wins, 251 strikeouts, a 3.32 ERA, and 1.04 whip. But it was also the first time since 2014 that he made uh, more than 30 starts in a season. Great when healthy may as well be the title of Steven Strasburg's Major League biography. That puts some risk on the table. Zach Greinke is 36, but he's won 114 games over the past seven seasons. He's not quite the dominant strikeout pitcher of others on this list, but he had a 2.90 ERA and a 1.06 whip in those seven years. He's maybe not quite as flashy as the other aces, but his reliability is still attractive. Another young starter on the way up, Jack Flaherty, is 24. Has struggled to win games, only 19 wins and 66 career starts. But don't get caught chasing his wins. If he continues to pitch well, the wins should follow. And Flaherty has a 3.20 ERA and 1.06 whip with 433 strikeouts and 368 and two-thirds innings so far in his career. If he doesn't do any better than that, if that's just what Jack Flaherty is, he's still really valuable. But what if he delivers those numbers and wins you 16 or 17 games? It says something about the quality and depth of starting pitching that guys like Clayton Kershaw and Chris Sale are still viable fantasy aces. Kershaw is still really effective, even if he's a far cry from his peak from 2011 through 2014. He also hasn't pitched 200 innings in a season since 2015, but he still finished last season with 3.03 ERA and 1.04 whip, striking out 189 and 178 in the third innings. He's not the best pitcher in baseball anymore, but he's still really good. Sale can be overpowering. He struck out 220 and 147 in the third innings last season and has a 1.09 whip, yet he still finished with a 4.40 ERA because he was susceptible to the home run, giving up 24 bombs in 147 in the third innings. If his home run fly ball rate comes down from 19.5%, then he can still be an ace. Of course, the more immediate concern with Sale is that he's recovering from elbow inflammation. He's optimistic that he'll be ready for opening day, but it's never a great sign when a pitcher has health issues before the season even starts. One of the things about getting prized pitchers is that the moment they have an injury, they are treated with ultra-soft kid gloves. It's of course justified given how much teams invest in these pitchers, but it highlights the powerlessness that goes with having an ace. If they are hurt, teams will take their time bringing them back. Similarly, be cautious about adding top pitching prospects if they haven't worked a lot of innings in the minors. Teams will be ultra-cautious because they envision a long-term value from that player that isn't worth diminishing with too many innings as a rookie. So, it could be thrilling to grab Blue Jays fireballer Nate Pearson, who's hitting 100 on the gun, but he, but he threw 101 two-thirds innings last season. He's not suddenly going to be a rotation regular and pitching 180 innings this year. So he may have value when he's playing, but how much he is playing will affect his relative fantasy value. And on that uplifting note, let's take a break. And I'll come back with some other pitchers beyond the aces for your consideration and then take a look at the closers. We're back! And it's time to look at other starters that might hold some draft day appeal. Once the draft moved past the aces, it still makes sense early on to seek out those that have high-end upside. Tyler Glasnow was once a top prospect in the Pirates system, but he started to hit his stride in a dozen starts for the Rays last season. His average fastball was 97 miles per hour, and that propelled Glasnow to a 6-1 record, 1.78 ERA, and 0.89 whip. It goes without saying that it would be amazing to get those kind of numbers over a full season. Mike Soroka was great for the Braves as a rookie and is still just 22, and his potential to get better is one reason that I'm still interested in him, even though he's not a big strikeout threat. He only had 7.3 strikeouts per nine last season. 
The Brewers' Brandon Woodruff doesn't have a long track record, especially for a 27-year-old. But his average fastball is more than 96 miles an hour, and he struck out 143 in 121 and two-thirds innings. Can he continue uh, that with a bigger workload this season? Maybe. And the fact that it's a maybe is what offers potential value. If it was a sure thing, Woodruff would be coming off the boards earlier. But because there's a maybe, if you take the shot on Brandon Woodruff, maybe you hit on the upside. Chris Paddock was great for San Diego as a rookie. He only threw 140 and two-thirds innings before he was shut down, but had a 3.33 ERA, 0.98 whip, and 153 strikeouts. That's the foundation for the 24-year-old to become an ace. 27-year-old Noah Syndergaard has been to the mountaintop, or pretty close to it, but he wasn't at that level last season when he finished with a 4.28 ERA. That's the first time in his career that he had an ERA over 3.30, and he had a career-high whip of 1.23 last season. He still dials up an average fastball velocity of 97.7 miles per hour, which sets up an effective changeup. So there's some reason to be hopeful that Syndergaard could still put up elite numbers. Reds ace Luis Castillo stepped up his game last season, winning 15 with a 3.40 ERA and a 1.14 whip, striking out 226 in 190 and two-thirds innings. His 10.1% walk rate was too high, but Castillo has ace stuff while pitching for a Reds team that should be better this season. He could just cut down on the free passes, you know, because that would allow him to work deeper into games. That would that would make the uh, Castillo an even more valuable commodity. Call it the Edinson Volquez principle. I, I was in on Volquez years ago when he was with the Reds, and he ha- had good numbers and he had strikeouts, but walked so many that he, he his whip just wasn't uh, manageable. Hyun Jin Ryu had a spectacular season for the Dodgers in 2019 and had a 2.21 ERA and a 1.01 whip in 44 starts for the Dodgers over the past two seasons. He'll be the staff ace for the Blue Jays in 2020. He's still worth grabbing with the understanding that the Rogers Center is not nearly as pitcher-friendly as Dodger Stadium, and the simple unlikelihood of Rue rolling up those kinds of numbers over a full season in Toronto. Like a 2.21 ERA and a 1.01 whip are, are not reasonable expectations, but if you're looking for somebody who maybe doesn't come with the, the fanfare of the aces that I mentioned first half of this podcast, uh, Rue could put up uh, some pretty good numbers. Uh, Lance Lynn has been a workhorse starter, but last season he emerged as more than that. Uh, not just an innings eater. He struck out 246 in 208 in the third innings. 3.67 ERA is okay. His 1.22 whip is strong, and he won 16 games. That, that takes him to being more than just an innings eater. Lynn wasn't the only pitcher uh, to resurrect his career in Texas. Mike Miner also bounced back. He had missed a couple of seasons and pitched as a reliever in Kansas City before arriving in Texas. And he's once again a quality starter. So maybe there's another veteran pitcher capable of bouncing back for the Rangers. How about 33-year-old Corey Kluber? He got rocked in seven starts last season, but in the previous five years, he was a bona fide ace. A 2.85 ERA and 1.02 whip and nearly 17 wins per season. With more than 10 strikeouts per nine innings. If Kluber can recapture even some of that, he could be great value. When you get to later in the draft and you're still trying to fill some spots in the rotation, shoot for upside. Pitchers who have good strikeout rates and ideally a strong whip. Take some chances because the last starter or two on your roster, if they're not working out, that can be a streamable spot. Either until an answer is found or you can just keep doing it, uh, rolling over new starters based on matchups every week. Generally, in a league that requires nine pitching slots, I'm inclined to go with six starters, sometimes seven, depending on the status of my closers. If my top two closers are rock solid and getting tons of opportunities, it's easier to ride with two. But more frequently, it's 
it's easier to go with three or two plus another reliever who has some upside to get saves. The bottom line, generally, is don't pay for saves. If you can get a tried-and-true option, like Kenley Jansen, Araldis Chapman, Roberto Asuna, or a freak like Josh Hader, then have at it. Go get him. But there's so much turnover through injury and performance issues that you can always find saves in unexpected places during the season. There are some exceptions, particularly if you're in deeper leagues, like a 14-teamer, for example. It might look like that's going to give everyone a shot at a couple of closers, but once some of the teams start seeking out a third closer, that brings a quick measure of scarcity to the position. Virtually the only role for a closer on your fantasy team is to provide saves. Sure, it's good to have a a good ERA and whip, but they don't pitch enough uh, in that role to to have a real impact compared to half a dozen starting pitchers. So, you know, Josh Hader will rack up strikeouts uh, at a really high rate and, and he's really good relative to other relief pitchers. But the impact that he has relative to six starting pitchers or seven starting pitchers on your staff uh, is relatively minimal. So right now, relievers like Craig Kimbrell, Edwin Diaz, Ken Giles, Brad Hand, Kirby Yates, and Rysel Iglesias are great options to provide saves. While a lot depends on the team, it also helps to have a closer that is really established. Somebody who's been at it over the years and has proven they can stick in the job. There's so many ups and downs with closers that getting an unproven one just adds another layer of risk. That risk could pay off, though. It just means that getting a projected closer isn't such a sure thing and should be treated as such. Liam Hendricks, Archie Bradley, and Hansel Robles got into the role last season and performed well. Longtime starter Ian Kennedy stepped into the closer job for the Royals last season and picked up 30 saves. These guys emerge, but it generally takes some time to have it all play out. There were 14 closers to accumulate at least 28 saves last season. The next 14 ranged between 15 and 27 saves, and nine more that had at least double-digit saves. That's essentially the pool you're dealing with, and beyond the top 15 or so, it's pretty fluid. So give yourself the best chance you can, first by getting guys who are firmly established in the closers role, and then, if you have to, finding setup men with high strikeout rates that might have a chance to take over from a slumping or injured closer. It's a position that, by nature, can be scavenged a little more readily than others. If you're looking for one preseason projectable closer, take a look at Tampa Bay's Nick Anderson. Acquired from the Marlins at the trade deadline last season, Anderson recorded 64 outs, pitching 21 and one-third innings. 41 of those outs were strikeouts. He had a 2.11 ERA and 0.66 whip in 23 appearances for the Marlins, and now appears set to close. He hasn't done it in the majors, but is an intriguing candidate to be sure. I'll be back tomorrow with a look at fantasy sleepers, guys that, for whatever reason, might be flying a little under the radar. That's it for today. Hit me up with your questions. I'm at ByScottCullen on Twitter. The show is at LO underscore Fantasy Baseball on Twitter. And if you want to send an email, direct it to LockedOnFantasyBaseball at gmail.com. Find us and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay locked in with Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your source for daily fantasy news and analysis.